Generosity Path podcast, a space for global conversations with people from different walks of life about the impact generosity has had on them. It's a place of inspiration, encouragement, and hopefully joy as we hear about the transforming power and potential of generosity to change the world. Welcome, everybody, across the world, all of our friends to the Generosity Path podcast. It is a privilege and joy to be with you. Um, I'm J. Paul Frydenmaker, and I'm here with my friend and the founder of Generosity Path, Daryl Heald. Daryl, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing great, J. Paul. Uh, Good morning and good evening to everyone in our audience, and we're so excited about this next story. Yes, we are. We have our friend Ed Foster from the UK with us. Ed, welcome to the Generosity Path podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Jay Paul. Uh, real privilege to be here. Absolutely love Generosity Path, love the impact that it's made on my life and what I've seen it doing in other people. And it's just a pleasure and a privilege to get to be with you uh, this afternoon for this podcast. Wonderful. So Ed Foster, we love this guy. He's a good friend. Ed is a doctor in emergency medicine at Queen Elizabeth Hospital in London. He volunteers as the leader for a charity that seeks to empower individuals to share the amazing message of God's generosity with the world's most unreached people. Um, Ed, tell us a little bit about your family and your work and just kind of a little about your life in London. Fabulous. So uh, I um, grew up as one of four with six kids, all very close in age. Uh, There's less than five years between my older brother and my youngest sister. So uh, we don't do things by half in my family. We come out all guns blazing. And uh, I found myself working as a, as you mentioned, as an emergency medicine doctor in a, a place called Woolwich. And uh, how I how I ended up doing that, um, uh, you know, really uh, arises from God's message of generosity and how mm. I've been captivated by that from uh, a very young age. Um, I, I think I've had had the sense that um, you know, and a, and a genuine belief that those of us who have had the chance to hear this message about God's grace to us, God's generosity. We're the luckiest people who have ever lived. Might sound like a crazy statement given all the inequalities in the world, all the unfairnesses, but I genuinely think those all pale in comparison to have you had the chance to to know this generosity, to know this Jesus. And it's that conviction which has compelled me along my path. Um, I wanted to, at a young age, commit my life to sharing that message with others. And uh, that was why I enrolled in medicine. I thought it would be a great chance to get to give to others and get to serve others. And I thought, hey, this could be uh, a great chance too to um, open doors to share this this message of, of God's grace, which for me is a, an even in greater gift. Um, and, and that's kind of led me to, to where I am today, uh, working in the emergency room, treating, treating coronavirus patients, treating all sorts, anything that walks in the door, uh, and just trying to, to show something of, of God's generosity to these people. That's great. Ed, um, thanks, for, thanks for sharing that. And uh, I'm just curious, too, why don't you tell the people 
what the you know what this looks like in in the context of the UK. So we we've been doing interviews with people from all these different countries and different regions of the world. But so when we think about biblical generosity, what's your what's what's your perspective from the UK? Yeah, I yeah I think that's a really great question, and I think there is a real culture of generosity within the UK. Uh, I think there's a bit of a problem in that we struggle to talk about it and we especially struggle to talk about giving. Uh, so when people um, come in and who are so good at talking about giving, I think that's that for me is one of the great joys of getting to spend time with American people and American Christians because you guys seem to me to have such a blessing and a gift to just talk about money and giving and generosity <laughs> openly. Whereas, you know, I think there is a real culture of sacrificial generosity in the UK. It's just everyone's too shy to talk about it. Um, they're doing it, but it's like, yeah, but, you know, no, nobody must know about this. It, it must be top <laughs> sacred. <laughs> um, okay, we're, we're not the best at talking about generosity. And I think we certainly could progress in getting better to do it because, yeah, it is a muscle that you need to practice and it does need to be encouraged and it does need to be taught about it. Uh, but yeah, I've seen behind the scenes people doing it, people giving sacrificially, yeah. people foregoing opportunities, foregoing chances to live in better homes, chances to have nice holidays, even chances to um, how they're going to look after their, their children. And, you know, are they going to secure all the best futures for their children? I've seen people putting that on the line for generosity and uh, for the gospel and, yeah, yeah, I think it's a wonderful thing. And the more we can get people talking about it, not in a, a prideful way or in a boastful way, right. but just as a way yeah. of mutually building each other up and encouraging greater generosity, the better. And it's it's been so fun to watch you talk about it. And, and you have been so kind of generous with your own story. Um, so share with us a little bit, how do you pass along this generosity gene to your friends? Um, how do you, how do you talk about it? How do you share? Tell us a little bit about that. Right. Um, yeah. When, when I, I first thought about this question, I, uh, I found myself stumbling a bit because I thought, oh, yeah. yeah, I thought how, how do I pass on the generosity gene to my, my friends and my coworkers? I, I, I struggled because I thought, you know what? All these people I live and work with, they all seem so much more generous than I am. Can I really yeah. think that I'm trying to give something to them or, or model to them? Um, so, yeah, I really don't know about um, passing on a, uh, a gene of generosity to others, but perhaps the, the area where uh, I can challenge people or um, speak to others and uh, yeah, I, I probably have to be the first to admit I often don't have the courage to, to do so is uh, just uh, in the area of, of lifestyle and yeah. saying, how can I, how can I um, live basically um, so others can, can basically, basically live? How do you how do you live a simple lifestyle? I know in the beginning you were radically you know, radical, simple lifestyle. I'm not sure you're still in that space, but what are some examples of how you do that? Right. Yeah. So yeah, as you're alluding to, I used to wear my clothes until they were falling off my back. And yeah, every thought was, how can I save every single penny, every single pound? Yeah. Uh, I don't live quite as, um, yeah, 
radically or perhaps you could even say obsessively as I used to, but you know, still, still trying to live in much the same way. So where I, um, where I live is also the same places where I work. I have a, mm-hmm. a room within the, the doctor's accommodation in the hospital. Uh, it's not glamorous, uh, but it's, it's, it's cheap. It means I've got more to give away. When I think about the uh, taking breaks from work, uh, I try to think, how can I, is there something I can do locally? Have I got a, a friend or a family member within the UK who I can visit and stay and spend a week with rather than going abroad and traveling? When it comes to clothes, okay, what can I find that's that, you know, that's cheap cheap and from, from the supermarket rather than uh, a great label? Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it comes uh, down to uh, travel and holidays, which is something that my generation loves to really spend a lot of cash on and just saying, okay, how can we strike that balance of, yes, I need a break, but okay, do I have the the right to these resources as much as other people do? Um, And then I think about, think about saving as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of people Mm -hmm. I know that kind of perhaps fall into two camps. Are they savers or are they spenders? And, you know, it's one of those perennial questions that we're never going to answer, but I think we do need to have that question of, okay, um, I need to save, okay, perhaps it's a good idea to buy a house, but do I have the the right to those resources more than some of my brothers and sisters do who follow the same law that I do, Mm. who might be sharing the gospel just like I am um, in needy situations, but who are struggling to put food on the table, struggling to put their children in school. Uh, And that for me is the question, not do I have the right to enjoy these things? But uh, are there others who have more need for these resources that have been put in my in my hands? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. That's a great question. You know, in in the the generosity path community, Ed, we we talk a lot about a journey of generosity. And mm-hmm. uh, as I've heard your story, part of part of your journey actually starts with with even the types of books that your your parents started reading to you. And uh, and kind of putting in your mind this this whole question of, you know, where is that today? And you know, a a a, a time timely invitation from your grandmother. Could you kind of you know paint that story for us of just how how in in some ways those those seeds were were planted early days yeah. and just kind of come full circle. Just uh, just before I started my medical degree, and I was looking to get some uh, some experience on the mission fields. My grand said to me, oh, you know, Eddie, there's this Indian missionary guy speaking in our church tonight. Do you want to come along? And that, that night really, really changed me and, and set me on a, a different journey uh, in terms of the journey of generosity. Because when I heard this person sharing the stories of what people on the front line, gospel workers on the front line were doing, the risks that they were taking and the breakthroughs that they were seeing, communities being reached for the gospel for the first time in history, I felt this is what I'm all about. This is what I've Mm. dedicated my life to. This is why I'm enrolled in medicine. I want to go see it. I want to go meet these people. These these people sound like the stories I had read to me growing up, but they're still alive. They're doing it today. And when I was out there and meeting these people and seeing the work that they were doing, that was when generosity took uh, a new level for me because I already had this idea of, well, we've got to be sacrificial um, because yeah. that's what God's done for us. That's what Jesus has done for us. But also seeing, well, not just, you know, sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice or 
giving for the sake of obedience, but seeing the, the, the power that our giving has to help others and build up the church and see lives be transformed. These are the people on the front line risking their lives for the gospel. It was there that I realized I can be, you know, I could be there with them or I could be living in my current job, my job as a, a doctor, giving to yeah. support these people and especially having the, the, the privilege of living in a place like London. I've got the chance to help a lot of these people, 20, 40, 60 of them, if I want to adopt that sacrificial lifestyle that I would have lived had I been that worker on the front line. So yeah, that was a big that was a big transition for me, seeing yeah, I can give for my own sake, give for my own generosity and, and calling for discipleship, but also I can give to help others, people who desperately need it. So Ed, tell us a little bit about your your charity work. Tell us a story or two about some of the the stuff you've been able to to be involved in, some of the people you've been able to work with. Sure. Uh, well, I heard a, a really lovely story just recently. Um, this came out during um, lockdown, and that was of some some frontline workers who felt called to share the gospel to some tribal people. So these are people who live in the jungle until very recently, um, were living as their ancestors have always lived. So bow and arrow in hand, shooting monkeys, shooting other animals. So a basic you know, forager, hunter-gatherer lifestyle. But as we've traversed into modernity, that way of living hasn't been possible any longer. And they've essentially been given plots of land to live on by the government, but you know, have been told you can't keep living as you used to. These forests are going to be used for other purposes. And uh, as is so often the case when such transitions happen, it's difficult to do it well. And the result is you get a lot of unemployment, a lot of really poor health situations. A lot of these people um, have started brewing their own alcohol, um, basically mm. moonshine. Um, one of my friends went to go visit them. He said he was there at 9 a.m. Most of the people he met were already drunk at 9 a.m. As a result, life expectancy is really low, often under the age of 45. And uh, this was, it was a story of someone going to these people to share the gospel with them. And um, yeah, a worker, he, he met a man, uh, a young man, uh, 35, whose wife had recently died. Um, she died, she was in her 20s, and she had died from, from alcohol excess. She had incurred liver damage and then died. So he'd been left <laughs> with three young children. And uh, yes, yeah, so this, um, this gospel worker meets his people and, and says to them, look, you know, what's going on? And they said, look, this is the situation that we've been in. Yeah, I'm already a broken man. I can't find work. I've lost my wife. I've got three young children um, to look after. And I've been praying. I've been praying to encounter some kind of hope, some kind of light in the darkness, some kind of physical help. And this worker said, well, that, that's why I've been sent here. I've got a message that I want to share with you, but mm -hmm. I've also been empowered to just provide the basic amenities. Here's a, a 25 kilogram bag of rice. Here's some cooking oil. Here's some lentils. Here's some dal. And this man was just overjoyed. It was it was uh, a, a, a ray of light in the darkness, a bleak situation. And it was the beginning of a, a transformed life. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Love those stories. Ed, one of the things that we 
we've already been talking about is sometimes you know it seems like there's there's a a, a, a one way sense from like a lot of the the Western more you know developed countries that you know are obvious to have have more money, higher GDP, and things like that. So obviously giving to to places that don't. You and I both were at kind of an inaugural event though in in Asia, where we saw you know hundreds of mm. of you know of business people and and things like that. I mean, just kind of turned turned it on its head. Could you mm. kind of give our audience a little little sense of just what that looked like in your mind? And yeah, and um, no, I think that's a really great question and. Or I think I have seen uh, from that conference, but from others as well, is that um, in some of these cultures, they again generosity might not be something that they they talk about. It might not be something that they naturally get, and money might well have a, a strong hold on people's lives, particularly when people have come out of um, you know in very recent times come out of severe poverty. Maybe their parents mm-hmm. knew it or their grandparents knew it. That's, that leaves a, an imprint of fear on you. But I've seen with those, those same people, um, when they do get it and when they hear the message of generosity and when they hear that, well, actually, you know, it's not a, it's not a question of giving 10%, which a lot of them do very faithfully. It's a question of everything I own belongs to God. What can I do with the resources he's entrusted to me? It's like they go from one extreme to the other, from not being you know, very generous and being perhaps behind what we might see with some people in the West to being to going way ahead and being extravagantly <laughs> generous in a way we're like, whoa, slow down, no, 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 that's, that's outrageous, come on. <laughs> and this story, I suppose, summarizes what I'm just being saying. And in the conference, this person came up to me and said, I want to give $20,000 He's, he, he comes from one of the poorest countries in the world. He said, I want to give $20,000 to help what, what God's doing here. Uh, a simple result of hearing, hearing this message of generosity. Yeah, that is just incredible. It's just incredible. You know, oftentimes, Ed, after a journey of generosity retreat, uh, people will, will come to us and say, hey, this is exciting. I'm inspired to give more. But how do I do that? You know, how do I, how do I be a good giver? So talk to us a little bit about your process. How do you kind of determine uh, where you give your time, your money, um, those sorts of things? Uh, Myself, it often starts quite intellectually. So Mm -hmm. I try and think, okay, what are the, what are the biggest needs out there? What do I feel is some of the biggest injustices in this world uh so that's the first question what's the biggest problem and then the second question is well how can i do the most help where where can i deploy my resources most strategically that they will best Mm. fit uh that need uh that's kind of the big picture the smaller picture is often much more okay where do i feel the holy spirit leading me today uh Mm -hmm. to to make a difference uh, but it tends to start on that kind of bigger picture, thinking, what's the greatest need? And, and how can I leverage what I have to make the biggest impact? Wonderful. Ed, we had you mention your family earlier in the podcast, but could you give us a little bit more details about how you've brought your brother and how y'all are working together in, in this, together in this journey? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, 
So that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier and how just before I started my medical degree, um, I took some time out to see what gospel workers are doing on the front line in developing worlds and having a challenge to come back, use my uh, calling as a doctor to earn a good salary and to give as much of it away to empower these local people in, in their work. Um, and that was kind of how it started, was just giving what I could. Um, but things gradually began to develop and to pick up pace. And other people saw the way that myself and others were living and said, wow, why are you doing this? And we explained, well, actually, it's because people on the front lines are struggling to put food on the table, struggling to send their children to school. But with relatively small amounts of money, like £60 a month or $80 a month, we can we can do that. Others said, well, we'd love to help as well. And uh, that was where my brother uh, came in and was a, a massive help because he learned about this and he thought, well, you know, I care about people hearing about Jesus. I care about churches being planted. Yeah. I'd love to do what I can do to help. And uh, his background was uh, setting up a few small companies in London and working as a, an entrepreneur. And he said, well, if you want to turn to be bigger than just what is just yourself and a few friends, you're going to have to create a, an organization, set up a, a charity. And, uh, you know, I've never done that, but I've set up a, a couple of businesses. It's probably a, a similar kind of idea. So Alex came uh, alongside us and was able to provide all of that, all of that entrepreneurial thinking, all of the, the systems and the structures and plans in place, so you know, how to grow, how to scale, how to pull other people in. So it's not just your skills and abilities, but the skills and ability of uh, a team. And that was really what, what got us going from being what was just essentially me and uh, a few friends to being a, a very rapidly growing organization with, you know, tens and, and hundreds of people getting involved with it. That's wonderful. That's a great story. Thanks, Ed. So, Ed, what would you say is, is the most freeing thing about generosity that you wish everybody else knew about? Well, I, I think there's something profoundly freeing in the thought of the strong giving themselves up to help the weak. Yeah. The strong to help the weak, the lucky to help uh, the unlucky is such a powerful image and a powerful story at the heart of our faith that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve yeah. and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think that's the most beautiful picture of the strong uh, laying down their life for the weak, as we are called to do. And yeah, I think of the words of Paul, where he says, uh, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when I yeah. hear that, I just think that is so freeing. It's so completely counter to uh, what so much of society says, which is, what can I get? How can I make myself secure? How can I yeah. give myself a secure and happy life that I want? Um, now, let's turn that on its head. How can we love others and give ourselves up for others as, as our Lord did for us. Amen. Amen. That's, Amen. I, oh, man. Ed, it's been lovely to talk with you. Um, I, I only wish we were face-to-face -face and we could go out and have a nice coffee or a glass of wine after this. But um, let's, let's bring this uh, 
conversation to a close by having you tell us a story that's really close to home, where where you've been a recipient of generosity or you've observed something within your family, uh, your neighborhood, your community. Well, um, yeah, I, I had a, a lovely experience of um, generosity recently, and it's been in the, the small gestures, which often I find... Mm. I personally find much harder because I'm thinking on this big level of how can we influence loads of people and help pull loads of people out of poverty and hear the gospel and all that. And this has just been with um, uh, a friend of mine who lives in the same block of flats that I do, which is the hospital where I live and work. And uh, I've been going through some some difficult times recently, just some uh, personal conflicts and struggles. Mm. And this friend has been aware of that. And just a lot of small gestures, which have shown me that I'm loved has made a big difference. And that might be um, coming home from a shift at midnight and just seeing a, a small plate of food outside my door, oh, all yeah. uh, wrapped up, or coming home one day and seeing uh, my flat's been covered in Christmas decorations and Christmas <laughs> lights. I mean, that's something I would never normally do. I'm far too task-oriented to take the time out to put up <laughs> Christmas decorations. But when they're there, I love them, uh, especially yeah. when it's the result of somebody else's generosity. Um, so, yeah, that's been something that's really, really touched me a lot, especially uh, in a, yeah, a difficult and, and, and troubling time. Wonderful. Thank you, Ed. You, you are a blessing, brother. You're a blessing to us and to our community uh, around the world. So thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thank thanks, you. Ed. Really appreciate thank it. Joy to be here. And want to say uh, goodbye and, and blessings to all of our global audience. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Generosity Path podcast. Pay it forward by rating, sharing, and subscribing. To find out more about connecting your own passions and purpose with your giving, visit generositypath.org or engage in the conversation by following us on social media. Let's make the world a better place.